Hey, I'm Alicia Bake. I'm Jen Greenfield. And I'm Jen Tifoni. VO Booth Besties listen to the questions you have. We find pros in the know to help you learn. And connect with our amazing VO community. Welcome, Welcome to, to VO, VO Booth, Booth Besties. Besties. everyone. Welcome to VO Booth Besties. Like our intro said, we're here to help working voice actors get your most important questions answered by industry pros who know. Each week we'll have a new topic and a guest speaker who is an expert on that topic. Speaking of which, we want to be sure you're all current on all the awesome speakers we have coming up and other exciting opportunities. So we're creating an email distro list. If you want to get on, just head over to boothbesties.com and shoot us a message with your email. A quick bit of housekeeping, in order to stay on topic and get as many of your questions answered as we can, we're actually going to keep hand raising turned off. However, the chat will remain open and this week, AB will be monitoring that. Now, without further ado, let's meet our guests. Over to you, JT. Thank you very much, NJ. We're gonna start with Paul. Paul Strekwerda is a 40-year veteran of the voiceover industry. Born in the Netherlands, he's worked for Dutch National and International Radio, the BBC, and American Public Radio. From his studio in Vermont, he records voiceovers for clients on all continents. Paul is also a voiceover coach and the author of the book, Making Money in Your PJs, Freelancing is for Voiceovers and Other Solopreneurs. You can find him on social media as NetherVoice and on the web at nethervoice.com. Shelly Avellino is a successful top-booking international VO talent. Well, technically Welsh, we're going to be precise, an international voiceover coach and casting director. She's well-known for her upbeat and fun attitude and is sought-after uh, vocal VO coach for newbies and veterans alike in the industry. Shelly's voiced thousands of projects over the last decade with clients such as Amazon, Johnson & Johnson, Nestle, Apple, Hilton, BMW, and many more. She specializes in e-learning, corporate, medical narration, audio tours, telephony, and other non-sexy stuff, as she likes to put it. Although she is based out of the USA near San Francisco, she has lived and secured clients all over the world. And because of this success in navigating the intricacies and nuances involved in doing business with other countries, she loves to help VO talent learn how to market themselves to clients outside of the country they live in, so they can expand their client base in their backyard, so to speak. And. Our third guest this evening is Mr. Tom Antonellis. Tom is a Voice Arts Award nominated VO artist, runs the full gamut, commercials like Boston Celtics, Animation, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, uh, Winning Time on Television, Dog House Calls in Film, the Stingray audiobook series. He did voice matching for Avengers Endgame, dubbing for Netflix, the ADR for Joe versus Carol, looping, apps, narrative podcasts, non-narrative podcasts, radio, narration, comedy, improv, legalese, trailers, live event announcing, and yes, Tom even sings. And with his sister, Julie Antonellis, he's co-host of the hilarious and heartfelt Voice Artist Award nominated Back Through the Basement podcast. Over to you, NJ. Well, thank you very much. And thanks everyone in the audience for joining us today. Um, Shelly, so let's just go straight to you. Um, we've got a few questions for you to get us started. As we mentioned in the introduction, Shelly is Welsh. Do you feel that having an accent puts you at a disadvantage at, in the industry as a whole? Um, no, actually, I don't. And, and you know, I've been asked that question many times because 
especially being in the US, a lot of US voice actors always say to me, oh, you must get so much work here because you've got this accent. And and yes and no. I mean, I get a lot of work in e-learning because they think us Brits are smart. <laughs> Little do they know. Um, but again, I get work all over the world. So actually, no, I don't think it's a hindrance at all. I think no matter what your accent is, if you're a good actor and your personality comes across and you know how to read a script, and more importantly, you know who the audience is culturally as well as geographically, um, then I think it doesn't really matter. I think people worry about that too much. Um, Paul might say it's something different to that. And yeah, I don't think it's, it's not been a hindrance for me at all. And I don't think for a lot of other working talent, although I think a lot of people have this misconception that if you have an accent, say a US accent, for instance, they're not going to want you in Switzerland, which is actually untrue. They may that's, want you in Switzerland. Okay, that's fantastic. So as a Brit living in the US, do you have an American accent in your arsenal of voices? That's actually an interesting question too. I personally don't. Um, I could if I really wanted to, you know, I could go to Tom or, or a lot of the other dialect coaches out there and become quite proficient at a an, an American accent. I can do a little bit. I'm married to an American, so I should be able to. But I actually don't. I want to kind of stick with what I have. And the reason for that is that even if I got great coaching and I picked it up really, really well, I think it really still does depend on who the audience is. It's the same if an American voice talent does a British accent. I know some that do an amazing British accent and they get a lot of work that maybe a, a natural Brit wouldn't get if the audience is American. And that's because they're used to hearing an American voice do British accents, if that makes any sense. So it depends on the ears. But no, I'm kind of keeping on the uh, on the Brit side or the Welsh side or the whatever you want to call it, mid-Atlantic side or transatlantic or whatever. Well, <laughs> and I like that because this is, you know, certainly just coming from the conference and, and any time that we've had coaches and casting directors on our show, we keep driving home the same idea that you be you. And exactly. that that carries so much more than you trying to put on a voice, put on a character. So I appreciate you saying that. Oh, for sure. So what I'd like to talk to you about, you are Dutch by birth, but how many other languages do you speak? Well, a little bit of English and uh, then some German, <laughs> a little bit of French. I can understand Italian and I studied Portuguese for two years, but I'm not fluent at it. So I have a little bit of a background in languages and one of the ways I used that language knowledge is uh, as a, a wedding officiant, apart from being a voiceover, I've also married about between 200 and 300 couples. And I married the international couples who came to live in the United States. And uh, even though I don't speak Italian fluently, uh, I know how to pronounce it. So they translated the sermon to me and the whole the ceremony. And then I pretended to do that. <laughs> but most of my work is... Uh, uh, in what they call neutral English, okay. Uh, my 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 English with this, I I would say that our voice is the 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 mirror of our soul, not our eyes, but our voice, because it's kind of this blend of where we've been, our upbringing, our education, our interest, and everything. And so uh, uh, I think that this this accent that you hear now 
is what I use most of the time. Well, that, okay. Well, first of all, that was quite profound because I think that is a fabulous way to really, oh my gosh, bring life to your voice because I, I am also a world traveler and have lived all over. And sometimes people will go, I hear a little, a little Midwest or a little Southern or a little California, you know, and it's nice that you can't quite pinpoint it, but at the same hand, it just lends itself to exactly what you defined it as, is that we are just, our voice is a culmination of our life and experiences. I love that. Mm -hmm. When, so you said primarily you are securing jobs, speaking neutral English. Is that accurate? Just to reiterate? I, I have three types of jobs. Main, main deal is neutral English. Uh, secondly, is pretending to be an Englishman. And third <laughs> is my Dutch native language. Because yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I found out that I cannot fool the British, but I can fool the Americans. So I remember one of the things I did a couple of years ago was when they had a jukebox musical, All You Need Is Love, the Beatles musical, come to Broadway. Of course, tons of British voice actors auditioned, but guess who got the job? I got the part as this crazy See? Dutchman. <laughs> and I came in, did the audition. You know, this was in New York, spent a couple of hours with these people. And during that time, nobody had any idea that I was Dutch. So, But that was before uh, a stroke happened to me. And after my stroke, this was five years ago, uh, after my stroke, my, 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 my um, accent changed and it became more Dutch. And I don't know why that is. And I can't seem to get the old English back, but I'm trying. But then another one, my, my very first um, national commercial in the United States was as a kind of David Attenborough nature type of uh, narration. Yes. It was an IHOP commercial. It's the nature of breakfast. So, again, another British accent. But it has to do with the fact that uh, the kids in Holland in Dutch schools learn the Queen's English. We don't learn the American English. We're oh, raised with the English British accent. Uh -huh. Yes. So it made it easier. I, so as, I, I, as I'm talking to you, I, I don't know why this happens, but as I'm talking to you, I'm trying to do a little bit more British. I was just going to say, you're getting a bit more British in there, Paul. I'm, I'm quite yeah. I'm liking that. I mean, that, that happened to me at a conference. We, we've all came just from Voice of Atlanta. And as I was talking to Hugh Edwards, the guy who runs Gave with the Brain and won Voice Call, uh, Awards and stuff like that, I threw in more British. Then I talked to other guys from America. I became a little bit more American. But one thing I'll never do is sound like a true American because I can't do an American accent. Okay, they that was going to be my next question. Is, yeah. Do you have that in your arsenal of voices? Do you have an American where you can say, hi, this is Paul Strick Verda? <laughs> no, <laughs> there's something inside of me. Because, you know, I think it's it has a lot to do with personal preference. And I... I don't want to offend anybody, but I am not drawn to the American accent. I can't say, I can't do that. That doesn't sound <laughs> me pleasant to me. Nasally. Uh, so I still say, I can't do that. I don't say, I can't do that anymore. I don't say that with this sort of fake British sophistication, but it's kind of this blend of Dutch and American and English, but it's more British still than it will ever be American. But when I first um, landed my first agent, which is, Hysterical. I went to Mike Lemon Casting, who was in, in Philadelphia. I used to live close to Philadelphia. One of the first things they said is, great, we'd like to sign you up for our roster because you sound like nobody else sounds like. You, know, you have this indistinguishable accent. We don't know if you're from Northern Europe or uh, we don't really know where you're from, but it's, it's, it's intriguing. So you sound like nobody else in our roster. So that was great. And then the second piece of advice I got was, get some accent reduction training. Learn how to speak like an American because we can book more jobs. 
And I tried that a couple of times and it just didn't sit well. It's like, I don't like Brussels sprouts. So no matter how many Brussels sprouts you're going to give me, I'm not going to like Brussels sprouts. The same with yeah. American accent. And so now it's really my bread and, my bread and butter <laughs> to right. have this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so hit your little mute button down in the bottom right. And we are now going to go to Tom, who has been so incredibly patient, and we cut him off mid-sentence. Oh, All right, good. Tom, thanks for coming up and joining our panel. You oh, are gosh. the only English-speaking American in our panel, but most people know, and if you don't, you actually coach on accents and dialects. So my first question is, have you found your uh, found um, that you yourself are using any of these European? Now, again, we're not talking, we're not doing Latin. We're not doing Hispanic, you know, Spanish right now. We're just kind of talking this European, Brit, Dutch, yeah. German. Uh, are you using European accents as part of your current bookings? Yes, quite a bit. No kidding. Now, are these more for characters, for animation or audiobooks, or are you doing commercial work too with this? I actually don't often audition for commercials in um, my native speaking voice, but a great deal of my work um, will involve some degree of dialect usage, whether it's American dialects other than the, the natural mm -hmm. um, general American that you're hearing right now, that is essentially my everyday speaking voice or the various um, UK and European dialects and accents that I have command of. That's interesting. Um, so our friend, Nick Redmond, now she actually shared with us, she no longer coaches in accents and I'm still on you, Tom. So you're still with me. Um, that she no longer coaches on accents and dialects because there seems to um, there doesn't seem to be a market for those who can do a variety of accents due to a shift in more localization and inclusion for actors. But it doesn't sound like that seems to be true for you or your business. No, um, I have great deal respect for every um, every dialect that isn't my native dialect that I might approximate. But mm -hmm. it and and I know that I'm up against people who might have the native sound that I am adopting. Uh, but no, I, I do see that it still comes across my desk quite a bit in, in the various genres in which I work. And, work. and I know that you're still coaching others to do the same, correct? Yes, indeed. Absolutely. I teach 19 different dialects. Wow. Okay. That's excellent. Interestingly, uh I, I sat down anticipating a discussion of you know, and I'll be doing this also with Everett Oliver in the near future, kind of, I get, occasionally I'll get a question mark on somebody's brow. Why would I need to work on any of this if, if a move toward authentic casting is uh, so much and rightly so? Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. I'll go ahead and just throw it out now because we can. Yeah. So I, I sat down and I wrote Benefits of Dialect Study. I wrote up a sheet. I wanted to sit with this question of, you know, why did I do this? Why, why I started and why I continue to, to study and, and add to an arsenal that I might not actually ever pull out of the quiver. Um, certain things, you know, I, I use a lot. I, to this day, still video games in otherworldly realms, um, fantasy games and alien games and, uh, Star Wars esque games are still, still very much drawn to a Mid Atlantic sound or a Brit even a British sound. So, I never want to be out of the, out of the loop or out of consideration 
uh, for, you know, no one, no one on earth has a, an authenticity claim to an alien or a fantasy character, or if none of us do, everyone does. Right. Right. So there's still well, going to be, you know, quite a bit of, uh, of work there, but I actually wrote out a thing and I sat, I actually did a, a what's it called? A, a survey among my clients quite some time ago and I dug it back out and uh, they wrote down two, four, six, eight, ten, ten 10 benefits of dialect study that go beyond even just having the dialect to use in one's everyday work. I can share them with you, but I don't know how much time we have for that. Well, yeah. So, so hang on a minute. So, so no, I want to, I want to stay with this. So, get, so let me pause for a second with you. I want to go to Paul and I'm going to circle back to you on this exact thing. Okay. So Paul, if you'll unmute yourself. So let's go down this path for a minute. Cause this is pretty, I think it's pretty neat. Do you have thoughts about the trend moving towards regionally authentic reads? Is it a positive shift? Is it not really relevant? I mean, if the actor is properly trained and can pull it off, who cares? Do you have, I know you have thoughts. Come on. What am I? <laughs> <laughs> you, hello. Well, you know, I think it's all part of the globalization of our market. And it's become much easier to find people who, who speak their native tongues now than it used to be. So in the past, they when they couldn't find their real native speaker, they had to find someone who could fake it. But I can find anyone with any dialect in any language if you just take the hour online. Or if I can't find it myself, I'll ask people that I know and they'll find a real thing. So why get a surrogate if you can get the real thing? And I think it's this whole move to authenticity. So I've I've noticed it with my British accent, too. I, I used to get a lot of jobs with my British accent and I could fool people. But nowadays no more and why should they though there's so many good british speakers and i i think it's really a good trend because i okay. don't like the, the fakery stuff i like to be my authentic self as well i don't like it when they hire someone from from belgian to pretend to be a dutchman because we're two different countries two different dialects really uh if you're linguist it's not a dialect but it's a different language but you know flemish what they speak in some part of belgium is uh like British English is to American English and mm -hmm. Dutch being then American English. So, so yeah, I want people, I like truthfulness in life and in accents. Okay, perfect. So now I'm going to shift to Shelly and you, thank you, Paul, you just gave me a big old fat softball. Uh, <laughs> Shelly, do you think it is the actor's responsibility to turn down jobs if they are not represented at the country asked to be voiced? I do. I think I'm very much like Paul. I do a lot of casting and I cast for a lot of international um, accents. I don't say languages, no, just I say accents. And Paul's right. I can find pretty much any accented voice talent out there. Now, whether they're a good accented voice talent is another question, but we can generally find the real thing. And I do think it's down to the actor to be honest. But sometimes, you know, when you want the work and you need the work, sometimes they, in reality, they're not. So I think it's down to the client also to do their research, too. All right. Well, so that sets me up to come back to you, Tom. 
because I have asked you about this and I really liked your reply. So I'm going to paraphrase what I remember you saying. And then I, of course, would like for you to expand in your own words. But you said to me that it's not your job to understand where in the process this audition might be coming from. If your agent sent you an audition for something in an Irish accent, there's a chance they've already sent it to all their Irish actors and they weren't a fit. And so now they're coming to you. So, so can you expand on that? Yeah, that is one perspective that I often think about. How, how do we know that it's, it's not already gone to a a series of people that they have already turned down that might have late, might have, you know, ethnic claim to. Uh, Irish may not be the best example because I actually am half Irish. And okay, you know, well, I I, <laughs> pick, some, pick something else to make it relevant. <laughs> yeah, um, but, you know, for example, I remember recently, I'll be announcing it tomorrow because the, the game drops tomorrow, but my IMDB credit is there today, so I can, my NDA is lifted. I uh, was cast in a Crime Bosses Rocket City. It's a really cool video game. It's got Michael Madsen and Chuck Norris and Vanilla Ice, and a lot of really cool actors in it, uh, Kim Basinger. And they contacted me, a, co- a colleague referred me and said, uh, do you do an Italian accent? Now, I am Italian, and so much of me is associated with my Italianness. But the truth is that I actually never grew up hearing any Italian sounds. You have to go not to my parents or grandparents, but to my great-grandparents to to have a household that had an Italian accent or the Italian language in it. Uh, by the time it got to me, we had just a couple of swear words and and a few uh, a few antinellicisms, you could call it, the, the type of little things that you say in, in a household that you don't even know why you say them, but later on you find out it's two or three generations of a, of a, of a foreign word. And uh, but I am so Italian and I'm thought of as Italian. And that's why this person recommended me. And I reached out to them and I said, yes, indeed, I do. I do do an Italian accent. And they said, do you do Russian, too, because we're trying to get Russian and Italian people. Now, I don't do a Russian accent. I don't do enough of it to claim it as a passable dialect or accent in my toolbox. I don't coach it. Um, so I told them no there at the risk of not getting, you know, if they really wanted somebody who could do both, I was eliminating myself. It turns out they did bring me in. And when I went into the session, brought in to do a bunch of grunts, a bunch of soldiers, probably some American soldiers and Italian soldiers, I ended up doing 17 different voices in 11 different dialects across three different countries, four different countries. and. I was also given three cutscenes. In other words, characters that would actually have a name and have a credit on IMDb. And I believe that that was happening in that session. I don't believe that's what they had planned, but I believe that the more they peeled at the onion of me, they realized just how much I could do based on skill. Did I do some in there that aren't aligned with where I grew up or my ethnicity? Yep. But I was... I believe an actor, they were going, oh, my God, what else do we, what, what else do we, hey, guys, what else can he, we throw at him, you know? And I was so enriched as an artist in that session, knowing that I was totally providing for them. Um, 
You know, I, I wrote down what Paul said about how our voice is a reflection of our life and experiences. And I 100% agree, but I don't think it's a complete reflection because I know, for example, my voice also reflects my life, my experiences, but also all that I've studied, all that I'm passionate about, my imagination, my creativity, my humor, and every inspiration that I've taken, many of whom are not Italian, Irish, Bostonian, general Americans. So I don't know if that answers your question or no, that was, that was brilliant. I told you how the clock worked. No, that's brilliant. You, you, you absolutely took it and ran with it. And that's what, this is why I, I was really excited to have an international panel because you guys are perfectly, um, positioned to offer three very different points of view as again, the point being where do accents, dialects, American English fall? How do we all coexist? So JT, you want to take us to our 30 minute mark? You got it. It looks like we are at the half an hour and that just flew by. Holy cow. A quick room reset. If you've just joined us, we are VO Booth Besties. Our goal is to help working voice actors get the answers to their questions from the pros who know. Tonight, we're joined by a panel of voice actors who specialize in international sounds, and we're discussing accents in the current industry. Thank you. Now, before we continue, AB, do we have questions from the chat? We do have some questions. Um, I I actually, there's quite a few um, conversations going. It's really quite interesting. I want to first ask my own question. There's some discussion about code switching. And I was hoping, Paul, that you could uh, elaborate on what code switching is because they keep referencing you. So I'm assuming this is something you have discussed. Can somebody define code switching for me? Well, that's what I was hoping you could do. All right. Somebody else. Tom, is that something? It was an observation somebody made about Paul when he found himself uh, speaking to some Brits at VO Atlanta and kind of uh, drifting into the British sound. And then when he was speaking to Americans, uh, doing that less. And somebody identified that correctly as code switching. We we do it all the time. Um, And code switching isn't just dialectical or... Uh, accents. It's it's something you do like a certain amount of formality among some people where you, where you lower your defenses and you're less formal with others. Code switching happens all the time. Everybody does. Okay. Right. 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 Now, thanks for clarifying that. And and did the person have a specific question about the code switching? Um, just that they were commenting that you were code switching, and it was interesting. Um, I was just curious what that was. I I'd, I'd never heard the term, so I love it. I love this idea that that we can kind of take on different roles and use our voice to do that. Um, okay. Some of the other questions. Like baby talk. When you talk to a baby, everybody code switches to a baby. This is true. This is true. All right. So uh, this, I believe, is a good question for Shelly because Shelly is a bit of a nomad. Um, the question is, if I want to know if anyone has traveled while working as a voiceover artist. I dream of becoming a digital nomad for a few years, but don't know if this career is suitable for it, given the need for a booth. And while, Shelley, I know you have a home and a booth, I do know you have moved quite a bit, and um, maybe you can speak to this a little bit. Yeah, I think you can. I mean, this is probably the the one job that you can do that in, as long as you know how to 
you know, set up a recording space wherever you are. You know, obviously that's important. Um, I think, you know, a lot of international clients are used to dealing with uh, voice talent on different time zones. So there's always that that you have to think about. You, know, you have to think about different cultures when you're uh, recording for different countries. Um, but you can totally do this um, and travel around. I've done it many times. Um, also, don't, you know, it depends how long you're going for. But if you're going somewhere just on, say, vacation for a longer time than normal, and a lot of people take their um, gear with them, if you do happen to be going internationally, don't be afraid to visit international production companies while you're there. You know, when I went, I've been to Asia many times, lived in Asia many times, and have lots of clients over there. And if I'm in the area, I will always go visit as well as record from those places. You know, use these um, travels if you do want to be a nomad to your advantage and market yourself. And but you can totally do this um, anywhere in the world. You just have to be careful that, you know, if you have got a majority of clients, say, based in the US and you want to move to Lisbon in Portugal, then, you know, you're going to have to be working on different time zones. That's the only thing I'll, I'll, I'll mention about that and different get paid differently and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There's a lot to think about. Yeah, it does bring up some good questions about things like working with agents and when they have expectations that they send you a script yeah, exactly. and that you can get it done. You know, I mean, I, I have clients in um, Germany and they'll send me a script as I'm going to bed and I'll do it in the morning and send it to them, but I'm not going to hear back until the next day when I wake up. You know, Correct. That so can that you do have to think frame. about that. You do have to think about that. And is, is this suitable? You know, where do my main clients lie? Do I want to change around and work at night? Am I going to be taken off the roster? You know, these are all things and considerations that you have to think about if you want to, you know, live in a different country for a long period of time and still have clients in a different country, the majority of your clients. I've got clients all over the world and I do work on different time zones all over the world. But, you know, you don't want to be, you have to have rest too, right? <laughs> Otherwise you're going to, you know, you're going to burn yourself out. So, you know, but I, I have very kind of strong, um, I, I set up my boundaries beforehand, you know. So I think that's really important too, is to set up your boundaries for your clients and don't be afraid to say no and, you know, know what your limits are, I think is the best best thing to say there if you're going I, to do I this. Have, I've got quite a few clients in Germany and they love the fact that when they go to bed, I have still half a day left. So right. when they wake up in the morning, I've done recording and they can start working on whatever I recorded for them. So exactly. it, it's ideal. It's I have a couple too. of... Exactly. I use it to my benefit. I, uh, that's how I advertise myself to the, the European clients. I've had some friends, uh, fellow colleague, uh, fellow voiceovers, who just, just spent some time in Bali, you know, uh, off the mm. Indonesian coast. And um, they took their uh, mobile rig with them and they had told all their clients what was going to happen and they had no problem whatsoever. So they were there in paradise, having the time of their life. And they didn't lose one single dollar or euro, nothing at all. They can, kept doing what they're doing. And that's the great thing about these modern times. You know, I grew up in a time where I had to go to a studio in Philadelphia, New York, wherever it was, and uh, work with somebody and a whole team sometimes. And um, now I can do everything from, from home. And technology is advancing. It's getting better and better. So it's ideal, really. If you want to be a nomad, become a voiceover. In fact, one of my students, um, I think, think they were based in Vegas they've just turned one of they've just turned a little part of their they have a um 
uh, oh my God, my word, the word escapes me, where they don't have a house anymore. What do they call them in America? The air, mobile homes? I an Airstream thing? An Airstream <laughs> yeah, thing? Yeah, one of those. Yeah. One of those, yeah. yeah. That's right, Airstream. And they have a little studio in there, and they just travel the world, and they record from their Airstream, and it works just fine. How about that? Lovely. Okay, well, we have a couple more questions. Um Someone asked, I have actors from all over the world taking part in my narrative podcast. What is the UK or European version of SAG-AFTRA? And I think this might be a question for you, Shelley, because I'm not sure. Well, I know for a fact in, in the Netherlands, I'm more familiar with that. They don't have a union. It's uh, everyone for himself or herself. And that's really it. I mean, there's no union, but they have uh, they have something in the UK, right, Shelley? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah, they do have one in, in, equity, in the UK. Is it? Equity, yeah, yeah, it's equity. Um, equity is is very similar to SAG-AFTRA, and and I believe if things haven't changed, I think you can be both. So if you're, I'm not, I'm not with equity. I'm not union, but um, equity is works very similar to SAG-AFTRA, and also other countries out there. In Asia, they have I forget the name of it. Asia, there's um, a Hong Kong Actors Union. It's very different from here, but they do cover some voice actors on there. So I always check countries, see what unions they have, because obviously it'll help you with international rates. So that's a really good place to start if you're looking for international rates too. Alicia, I just want to jump in really quick. Um, if you guys are interested, you should go back to our podcast. We had Scott McCarthy on. Um, actually, he was our second interview. And he is the vice president, at one of the VPs of DreamWorks, and he actually is the head of dubbing. Now, what was really interesting is he spoke to this, I mean, to a degree, but what was really encouraging for those of you who are wondering is they only use localization. So all of DreamWorks for, you know, is all in English. So they only dub into other languages, but because of that they want and they want and I think it's phenomenal they want to support the local actors in their communities anyway to the point is he said they make a point no matter what country it is they pay the top rates for their actor like whatever if they have a union or like Paul said maybe it's not a union but whatever would be the industry standard rate they pay that top rate no questions asked because they want to abide by those countries' rules too. But anyway, so there there are things in place, and I think I think, gosh, ladies, do you remember that they dub in twelve different languages? I can't remember, but it was a lot. So it's encouraging to know that there are other entities out there supporting actors' rates. Okay, that's all. There that are, a, there are, yeah, and especially in, in some of the Asian countries where you know they're kind of known for their lower rates. You know, there are unions out there, so don't be afraid to look for them. Um, you know, ABU is one of them. APPU is another one. There's there's quite a few out there, you know, especially for those countries that don't like to pay usage, shall we say. Um, so don't be afraid to look up acting unions, um, acting guild unions. And sometimes they're known as something a bit different too. So you know, don't be afraid to kind of play around with your Google search to find them. Absolutely. Um, great, great question. Um, I wanted to bring up, um, someone, I, I, sorry that I cannot remember who this was. I think it might have been Casey Clack. They said, I love any move towards diversity and inclusion, but I do struggle with the way the shift towards 
the with the shift towards the authentic branded accent because I personally am multi-dialectal. Is that how you say that? Dialectal. And I don't feel like any are my one authentic dialect. So can well, we speak to Yeah, they all yeah, they all would be, right? So I, I have um thoughts on that, uh, because for example, my case is my husband is is Hispanic and he grew up speaking Spanish and English in the home. So he has no detectable dialect in either language. So is authenticity, and this is a discussion more than an opinion, is authenticity more about your heritage or is it more about how you sound? Uh, I would like to kind of take that on from a casting director point of view. For me, it's sound because that's what the client wants, right? I mean, it's just 90% of the time is what they want. But like Tom said, you know, uh, as a casting director too, I might have gone through all my actors that, sorry, not sound, um, authenticity, like where they come from, that's what the clients want. But sometimes I've already gone through those actors, right, Tom? And they just, they're not filling the spec. So then I have to go to the actors who have the right sound that may not have the authenticity. So it is, you know, on one day it can be one thing, on another day it can, another, it can be another. And it makes the casting director's job extremely tough, right? It's really, really tough for us. So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. I really think that it depends on where the job comes from. Like Tom said, what Paul said, it's, you know, where where you know your voice comes from it comes from it mirrors all of you and you don't have one authentic voice you have it's right. many <laughs> you have many I also want to make a distinction between fiction and non-fiction if something's non-fiction authenticity is more yeah. uh, vital i think but if you are more into the realm of fantasy the games the cartoons where you have more characters exactly. then it doesn't matter so much cuz then you want the voice to intrigue you, to captivate you. And if the accent is kind of slightly off or a little bit uh, over the top, I love that. I've uh, I've spent a lot of time this this weekend with a French fellow who lives in the United, uh, United Kingdom, Stéphane Cornicard, mm. and he has an accent okay. and he speaks so many languages. None of them are, I think, uh, uh, authentic at all because uh, French is his, his yeah, first language. Yeah. So I can definitely hear that he has kind of this French um, uh, tongue coming through and everything. But whatever he does, as soon as the man opens his mouth, you cannot stop listening to him. It's so intriguing, it's so captivating. And in that case, nonfiction, I can totally accept the inauthenticity because it makes him who he is. But when it comes down to some, when something has to be credible, when people have to be trustworthy, authenticity, if you don't have authenticity, you've lost your credibility. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about one of my clients who is of Indian descent, but is totally a dyed-in-the-wool American, speaks like a general American person. Extremely yeah. gifted uh, audiobook narrator. And she was cast in a book in which the main character was Indian, but just like she does, spoken in, in a general American dialect. At the same time, there were a couple of like aunts and an uncle with minor presence in the book who were one generation up and would therefore have to have uh, an Indian dialect. And she is culturally Indian, ethnically Indian, lived some time in India, does not sound Indian, <laughs> 
and she sought me as a dialect coach. And I told her, I said, it just so happens. Normally, I would say no. There are so many dialects that uh, and accents. I love to listen to them, but I really think it's inappropriate for me to go after them and learn them. I would never use them. And really, it is along the uh, religious line, like I would never do a uh, a Yiddish dialect or a, and the racial line. I would never do the dialects of a, of a person of color, perhaps right. of, in an audiobook where, you know, I'm the main character and the main character is white, but occasionally there might be somebody who isn't white in the book. But she had, you know, such a, she, not only she was already cast before she learned about these characters, but they all, she also was kind of between a rock and a hard place. And it just so happens that I, I can do an Indian dialect. Um, I, I studied it because it came up in a, in a book and I really laid into the accuracy of it. I did not want to, uh, I didn't want to, uh, Apu it if, if you know what I mean. And I studied it and, uh, the answer was yes, I could help her. She was so relieved to, for me to be able to kind of illuminate the techniques of, of how to get, how to click into it. And it was just so wonderful as I unlocked two or three little techniques with her. She then, it almost like, it was weird. It was like her, her Indian side could flourish. She, she needed to be, she needed permission to spend an hour making mistakes. You know, that's what we did. She needed to have a session where she just was, it wasn't perfect. That's what coaching is. And she needed it. She needed illuminated to her what to do differently from her native sound. And again, these were not major characters in the novel, but they were important and she wanted to get them right. And uh, I thought it was one of the most satisfying sessions of it I'd ever had because I really gave her something that she, she was so uncomfortable that she would not get this right. And yet I was not Indian, never stepped foot in the country, but I felt like I, uh, I really unlocked something for her. She was so relieved. That's, that's I think great. as a as a linguist, you that's part of your the magic that you do that you can unravel the characteristic characteristics of a certain dialect and teach it even though you don't speak it yourself or you're not a native speaker. Well, you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier was the Apu effect, and I think that uh, referred to Hank Azaria playing Apu yeah, on the Simpsons, right? Apu. Yeah, and he said he was no longer going to do that. Yeah, and um, that's a big discussion in the Netherlands as well, where we have a population from Suriname, which is next to French Guiana, and it's uh, basically uh, our African-American population in the Netherlands. And a lot of white colleagues can do a perfectly well Surinamese accent, but will never do it because now it's considered to be an insult. And in that, in terms of that, times do have changed because one of my colleagues is very successful, Boots Gauwink. He does an amazing uh, Nelson Mandela, and he's He's even a better, uh, gosh, what's his name? Um, I, have, I draw a blank, but a very famous American actor, Morgan Freeman. There he is. He mm -hmm. does an amazing Morgan Freeman. And he grew up in South Africa, so he was surrounded by different peoples in different languages and accents. Mm -hmm. And he, he still does it because he's just so amazing, but he doesn't let people know that he is just a white, tall Dutch guy. And so I think we've we've we are in a new era now of kind of political correctness where things that were okay in the past are no longer okay. It also has to do with equality because 
if we as white people can do uh, an African-American accent, no matter how good it sounds, we are taking jobs away from people who should be taking those jobs. We see it in music as well, you know, the role of Othello in Verdi's opera. Should it be sung by a white guy? No, if we have an African-American uh, opera singer who can do that role, we should cast that person first and foremost. So we we're part of this whole trend now where things are changing, and I think it's Everything's for the better. Everything shifting. Everything shifting. I think it's for the better. I'm noticing it for my clients. My clients want that international sound now, way more than they want just the white American or white British sound. They want, you know, the Pauls and the Stephens and where are you from? Even myself, I get cast more than British people because I've got this little. Are you Welsh? Are you British? You lived in Asia. You've got the, you're, you're, you know. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of quirky. There's there's yeah, something right. there's something going on in there. I'm not quite sure what it is, you know. And that and I think that's where clients are coming from now, and it's kind of nice, which is why you know a lot of my students when they come and say, oh, I've got this weird accent and I don't know where I fit and do I do I look for these jobs or do I look? I said, just do you. Yeah, I, I just had that conversation. With, yeah, it just so happens a British client, um, you know, wondering. I, I've had both. I've had I had an Italian actor with a minor Italian accent, really within within striking distance of of getting a Gen Am, and ha, he had he had a real complex about it, and he knows he's got the perfect look for so many American roles that he was turning down because of these last little tump dominoes that oh, had not fallen, and he he's an American. He lives here. He pays taxes here. He's married to an American woman. He has an American kid in an American school. The guy is American. But yeah, he's also Italian. And and unlike me, he's got a remnant of his Italian language. And uh, and he does have a remarkable Italian accent if he doesn't uh, control the knob, you know. But I taught him how to click those last few clicks on the knob. So yes, he can go after a um, you know, a, a New York bad guy or a thug or a uh, a doctor that they want to be American. He's got the right look for so many things. Such a good looking guy, too. He's such a great on camera actor. Let me break and, in uh, here just for a second, Tom. That's I love where you, I love what you said. And I, I just want to tie in something Aaron Pierce said um, over in the chat. And he was pointing out and it, it goes right back to what Paul said at the beginning. Our voice is the mirror of our soul where we've been and the blend of our upbringing and everything about us. And Aaron says, authenticity is tied to knowledge as well as geographic location. And we saw Casey, Casey um, also brought up that, you know, she, she has multiple dialects and she feels uncomfortable performing in them. But, but what we're getting at here is that she shouldn't because they are part of her. I would wish for her that she shouldn't. Yeah. She should be able to use them. So it's really about, what we've learned and where we are, but also still being true to that, um, you know, not crossing some boundaries that we've begun to set helpfully in the industry Absolutely. with culture. And, and you guys have brought up some really great points. And I am, I am authentically half Irish, but without the study, I, I, I think accuracy is also important. I am authentically half Irish, but before I learned it, I did not have an Irish dialect. So I threw, anyone who knows me knows I have a ridiculously high level of accuracy and precision standards. It's one of my core values for my work. In other words, I'm anal. 
<laughs> and I brought to bear that sensitivity on learning the Irish dialect because not only do I love Ir Irish people, Ireland, and my Irish heritage, I am I'm authentically Irish before I was accurately Irish, as accurate as I can be through study. And I yep. think that's just want to say one very, very quick thing. A lot of the clients that come to me for international voices, I do, um, I cast for an e-learning company. So what Paul said, if it was a video game company, we'd be having a very different conversation. But for e-learning, you know, they do want authenticity. But however, you know, it's, it really is a case of sometimes I will throw wild cards in there. I will throw people in there that I think would be able to do this role despite they've asked for a particular accent, I'll throw in something very different. And sometimes a, a client will go, oh, I didn't even think about using a German accent there, even though I've asked for Italian. Wow. Well, so Shelly, on that That's same so note, awesome. on that same note, we had a casting director on here we had done um, a for fun audition for Wendy's and it was, yeah. it, was a, mm -hmm. it was a fantastic experience. However, we had um, folks in the audience who are authentically from another country um, submit. And it was interesting because this casting director said, Wendy's is an American fast food restaurant. Mm -hmm. And she wasn't sure, yeah, if the client would land on someone who it, who is act, who has an accent that it was not general american so when you're talking about casting and pulling people but you're talking more internationally you're not necessarily talking about american right. or are you okay i i'm, I'm talking more international only because the client wanted an international sound they, this company was a worldwide company, not just an American company and that's really important yeah. right i don't get i i am never ever going to book a political spot in the US, right? It's just, it's just not going to happen, right? Because I'm British. So it does depend on who the end client is, right? I knew who the end client was. They were, an, they were a worldwide company with an international audience, right? So I could do that. I felt that I could do that. Obviously, there are times where I don't. But sometimes just having a sound that's um, from all over the place is really, really of benefit for you if you're going for work outside of the States, for instance. I think it really, really works in your favor. And it's funny, Shelley, you're, what, saying what you just said made me think about writing in my head a political spot where there are 17 <laughs> voices from all different dialects and, and having it be a really wonderful melting pot sort of spot for the right a politician who would think to send that kind of inclusive message. So, right, I think that's that, that's a good it, thing. Never say no. It could it right. could happen. So it would make somebody listen, wouldn't it? Put it that way. That's right. that's my argument. And I would love to hear. I, I would love to hear Paul, Shelley, and me in a Wendy spot. Right. Oh my! Can you imagine that? <laughs> I will awesome. send you the script. Yeah, I'll that send the script, awesome. and I want to hear it back. But we have made it to the top of the hour, and I can't believe it's gone so fast. You guys have been amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. But before you go, we like to ask our guests three for fun questions, a little James Lipton style. And Shelly will do ladies first. Uh oh, go on then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now these are just fun. Um, our first question is What singer, band, or composer are you enjoying right now? 
Well, I play eight instruments and right now, what is on my piano? I can go over to it right now. I am currently playing Chopin right now. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yes. All right. Our second question is, if you like podcasts, what podcast have you been listening to lately? You know, I I go in and out of podcasting. Um, so right now I'm not listening to a huge amount of podcasts, but um, I am listening to audiobooks and I'm currently listening to the latest Stephen King one. I go in and out of fiction and nonfiction. So that's where I'm at at the moment. I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of podcasting, but I do like the VO Beta. They're one of my favorites. I go to them quite a lot when I go to podcasting. Nice. And number three, what is your favorite dessert? Oh my gosh, that's so tough. (laughs) I have so many, but I'm actually not a chocolate person. I'm a citrus person. Okay. So I'd say lemon cheesecake all the way. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And if folks want to connect with you or sign up for coaching, what is the best way for them to do that? Uh, You can get me at two places, uh, ShellyAvelino.com or InternationalVOCoach.com. And all the socials is just my name other than Twitter, which is ShellyVOGirl. You can find me. Just put me in and I'll pop up. Fantastic. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. Apart from the voice. I don't normally sound like this, by the way. It's like a female Barry White going on here. But But it it works for you. Oh, I thanks. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Tom, we're going to hit you up next. We're going to work backwards. Um, So same questions for you. What singer, band, or composer are you enjoying right now? John Williams. I'm not familiar. (laughs) What's the genre? What? You don't know John Williams? I don't. Have you ever heard the score to E.T.? Okay. Do you know what Jaws is? Indeed. Have you heard Harry? Out of Potter? context, we're thinking of like the people who sing, right? John Williams is a composer. <laughs> well, it says com- no. I I did ask composer. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. John Williams, I I'm currently listening to, kind of going through his uh, um kind of discography in a way. Gotcha. I have almost every. Of, of course, he's done almost every Steven Spiel Steven Spielberg movie. So I'm kind of. Going from uh, Sugarland Express through nice. uh, through the most recent through uh, um, Fablements. Right now, I'm on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. <laughs> I love it. And what podcast, if any, have you been listening to? Back through the basement podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Stop I literally ball. was it earlier today, um, but uh, I am enjoying. Let me just give you the top three in my library here. Um, the seventh rule, which is a, a Star Trek podcast, wherein uh, folks associated with Star Trek: Deep Space Nine kind of go back through not only Deep Space Nine but the the other um, the other uh, the predecessors. Of Star Trek, yeah. Okay. And um, Untold Tales, Melissa. Love that one. There's uh, podcast. I listened to some of that. Yeah. I coached her on one of her episodes, which was neat. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, she needed a British. Cool. And what's your favorite dessert? I'm going to go definitely also cheesecake, um, specifically white chocolate raspberry truffle cheesecake from Cheesecake Mm. Oh, my God. I didn't even know that existed. I've never met a cheesecake I don't like. (laughs) (gasps) 
Shelly, if we uh, get together, if we're in the same state where it's a Cheesecake Factory run for sure. I didn't even know that existed. Oh, my God. I'm drooling right now. Oh. Chocolate raspberry. Actually, here. Let me give it to you. White chocolate. <laughs> buffalo cheese. Oh, gosh. Okay. All right. Can we talk about That's sharing. That's it now. Sharing the community. <laughs> and, Tom, uh, where can our folks find you if they would like to connect with you or get coaching? Yes, um, there's a coaching tab on my hub website, which is TomAntonellisVO.com. And if you want to go straight there, uh, ThickSkinCreations.com is my production company and coaching website. But the, I'd like you to visit the hub first and click over because the hub is, far, I'm far more proud of that website. TomAntonellisVO.com. All right. Thanks, Tom. And Paul, we've got the same questions for you. What singer, band, or composer is your favorite right now? I discovered lately, and I don't know why it took me so long to find her, but her name is Samara Joy. Has anyone heard of Samara? I She's have. this amazing. Yes. She just if won. Like, yeah, she won an Emmy, I think, didn't she? Or something like that. She or, did, yeah. Uh, no. Yes, she says. Uh, it's not an Emmy, but um, well, the equivalent in, um, in music. She's anyway, a jazz She's singer. a young jazz singer. Yeah. yeah, I think she's about 23, 24 years old. But she sounds like she had a whole life that she's lived already. And she sings these standards, kind of the songs that Ella Fitzgerald or Sarah Vaughan or even uh, or Nina Simone sang. But with such depth and such vitality and such joy, I cannot stop listening to her. She's phenomenal. And I, I'm a big fan of Apple spatial audio. So I put my, my uh, AirPods Pro on and <laughs> I can listen to her all day long. She touches my heartstrings like... Very few singers do. And uh, so that's her name, Samara Joy. Lovely. Or maybe Samara, yeah. So, and uh, the podcast, well, I, most of the podcasts that I listen to are really radio shows that are repackaged at podcasts. So one of my favorite interview shows is Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Yes. I love mm -hmm. her interviews and her interviewing style. Mm -hmm. But I also like the, the VO Social podcast with Nick yep. Redman. And... Um, a lot of Dutch things, because I think as an international voiceover, living in a, an English-speaking country, I need to make sure that my Dutch really sounds authentic, right? Because I don't speak Dutch normally during the day. So I listen a lot to Dutch things. So I can name a couple, but nobody would know <laughs> what, they're, what they're about. But they, they bring me back home. And um, that's a, another thing, you know. I, I, I love the sound of my own native language. I don't hear it enough. So podcasts are a bliss. And now that dessert, right? And yes. I'm going to cop out a little bit, but I, I love a German dessert called Schwarzwa der Kirschtorte. So that's a Black Forest uh, cake, a gâteau. That's oh, one of my favorites. Yeah, Schwarzwa der Kirschtorte. I love saying that word. <laughs> and <laughs> and, I, and But my all-time favorite is really tiramisu. I love a good tiramisu, you know. See, that's a completely inauthentic Italian accent. Wherever you go, very on point. Wherever you go, the the tiramisu is a different for every restaurant that you go to, right? With a different mix of the different ingredients, and uh, so I always like to be surprised, and I love the name. Authentico. But you know, do you know what the name tiramisu means? I don't. Tom cannot answer because he's half Italian, half Irish, but it means pull me out. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, at the end of a meal, a long, very beautiful meal with like five, six, seven courses, whatever. 
you know, the body is processing the food. You get a little bit tired and you need this strong cup of espresso and then something yep. to pull you out of your, your state of slumber and your state of digestion. And you take a tiramisu to pull you out. <laughs> That's hey, funny. Having an Italian husband, I'm going to tell him that. That's going to be very funny. Yeah, it comes from tirare. It's to pull, huh? Tirare. Take me out. I didn't pull know me. that. I did oh. not know that. Well, knowing now, knowing now, it will taste even more delicious, I think. That's, that's, <laughs> For that's sure. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And Sorry about oh, the microphone. People... Oh, well, yes. I would say apologies for not understanding how Clubhouse works and that I oh, had to fine. push a different type microphone logo. I now know, and I've become a, um, a clubhouse aficionado, I think, so I'm going to stay on the medium. Great. <laughs> How can you find me? Well, anything, when, when you type in nether voice, and nether as, a, as in Netherlands, and the voice is in voice, of course, turn, turn it into one word, nether voice, and nethervoice.com is my website. You can find me on all social media pretty much, but Twitter, I just type in nether voice, and you'll find me. Fantastic. NJ? Well, thanks again to our guests for joining us. And thanks to all of you in the audience. Our chat was blowing up. I am so just thrilled, not only at the turnout, but the discussion. Because again, like I said at the top of the of the um, conversation, I think international voices, this, and again, we're just, we were just kind of barely scratching the surface just from an international European standpoint. We haven't even gotten into um, other ethnicities, et cetera. So I think this was a great topic and I appreciate all hanging with us and for commenting and just being um, involved. We want to remind everyone that VO Booth Besties has grown to two nights a week. So we invite you to join us on Monday and Thursdays, same times. AB? Oh, yeah. This Thursday, March 30th at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern, we're going to be talking with Law Lapidas and discussing what to know before submitting to an agent. In the meantime, go connect with each of us on LinkedIn and follow us on, um, follow VOBB on Facebook and LinkedIn. If you want to hear replays of tonight's episode or any of our previous discussions, you can listen on our podcast. Anywhere you listen to your podcasts and on the podcast page at boothbesties.com. And that wraps it up. Good night, everyone. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of VO Booth Besties. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Well, pretty much anywhere they're playing podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so we can keep the conversation going. VO Booth Besties. Yeah, it's a thing. thing.